Hi, everyone. I'm Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Radical Research. You found another episode of Techspansive, so thanks for uh, joining us this week. We thought we would dive in with a conversation about uh, what's happening in food delivery and the kind of that food delivery app world. Uh, we saw this week that uh, Grubhub has received interest to merge from Europe-based JustEatTakeaway.com and uh, Delivery Hero. Uh, there was some talk that we had covered in a previous episode a couple weeks ago that uh, Grubhub and Uber were looking at uh, combining forces. Uh, this has obviously been a, a topic du jour during the, the current pandemic as people have sheltered in place and they've, they've opted to uh, order food. Uh, and yet, at the same time, the, the business models really haven't been sustainable. So it, it would make sense that we would start to see some, uh, some consolidation here, writing at the end of last month in the, the, the markup. We saw an article that, that talked about the, some of the flaws in the business model. Uh, they cited an uh, August 2019 study from the investment firm Cohen that estimated that Uber Eats was losing close to $3.35 on every order. So the economics didn't work. So arguably combining and, and merging could create some, some scale. Uh, obviously, one of the flaws with the business models are that they rely on restaurants, typically small restaurants, paying fees, which in many cases erase all of the margin that they have on those meals. So it's kind of a, a tricky relationship. I, as, I've, as I've talked to small relationships, restaurants about it. Uh, they've struggled to know whether to even be on these platforms or not. They feel like they need to be on these platforms, but at the same time, when they are on the platforms, they feel like it uh, essentially erases their, their profitability. I'm sure. Right. Uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. And I'm sure that's, that's been even more true in the last uh, eight to 10 weeks while we've been sheltering in place and, and ordering food. So, uh, so a lot of of activity happening there. At the same time, we saw this week that Instacart is changing how it handles tips, including deactivating customers who consistently and egregiously engage in tip baiting after a congressional inquiry. Which, uh, which led us to look up what tip baiting was. Uh, and uh, essentially it, it manipulates, or it had been manipulating uh, Instacart's ability to change one's tip uh, after receiving a delivery. So some, uh, Apparently some mean-spirited folks would be promising large tips. And after they received uh, their delivery, uh, they would change the tip to be much lower or eliminate it uh, altogether. And in response to that, the company is reducing the, I guess, grace period during which you can re uh, remove or change a tip, uh, as well as um, uh, forcing reviewers to provide an explanation uh, about why they are uh, changing a tip or or, uh, or not not giving a, a tip. So, um, you know, what was the bad experience that that prompted this, as opposed to you know you're just taking advantage? Um, and of course, if you do it on a repeated basis, they will remove you as a customer. So, um, ironing out some loopholes, I guess, in the model, um, but uh, but still. Yeah, a lot of challenges in this space, uh, a lot of challenges, even going back to the first generation of these services um, back in the, the web 1.0 days with uh, Cosmo and, and 
which was the subject of a documentary, uh, Urban Fetch, uh, Peapod, Webvan, which of course was one of the um, uh, poster children for the uh, the dot com bust uh, of, uh, of of the first um, first wave of, of Web 1.0, and uh, and I think you're you're you know totally right, Sean. It's not just Shakeout in these meal delivery services, but but a whole range of convenience food options, including uh, a lot of these um, meal prep kits uh, like Blue Apron and Freshly. And uh, there, there are a lot of them. And I, I might expect some of them to be sustainable for a while because people just have a lot of different preferences in terms of you know, kinds of foods and the degree of preparation they, they want to have. Uh, but you have to think there's going to be further consolidation. Well, and there's been some really interesting different uh, confluence you know, forces coming together, if you will, I guess. Uh, you had the movement towards ghost kitchens and arguably for two months there in most of the country, every kitchen was a ghost kitchen operating without a, uh, a, a dining room space. And so they were all operating as ghost kitchens. So the economics of that was starting to, to change. Um, I think every company is rethinking what their physical space looks like moving forward as things like curbside pickup are becoming the, the norm, have been the norm for the last two months, and maybe some of those trends stick with us. I think companies that have long been thinking about what the interior space looks like are now starting to think about what their parking lot looks like, what the exterior space looks like. Uh, restaurants that didn't have drive throughs are now thinking about, you know, do we have permanent drive throughs and other things like that. So I think there's some some interesting dynamics there. And then I do think one of the big trends I've seen is restaurants offering meal kits essentially to go and and, right. and meals that you can cook at home, but they'll put everything together for you. Yeah, ta- Taco Bell has been advertising. Oh, I didn't realize that, Taco yeah. Bell was doing it. But yeah, yeah. so uh, so you've seen a lot of small restaurants and clearly even big chains doing that. And I, I think that's a trend that will stick around. You've seen some even doing... Um, what I'll call small limited number of grocery like items that can be delivered as yep. part of your meal, things like fresh fruit, yogurt, other things like that. I think that's a trend that could, uh, could continue. So maybe when you're ordering your pizza, you decide you want a couple of extra grocery like items, or you're going to order your pizza and you're going to order uh, a meal for, for the later that week that you can just put in the refrigerator and cook. I think that's a trend that will continue. And maybe that helps the economics of these. So you're, you're no longer ordering just a $30 meal from the restaurant. Now you're ordering a $100 meal because you're actually ordering uh, the meal for that evening together with a meal that you'll make later in that week. I think it's also maybe worth mentioning uh, what, what seems to be an exception to uh, the, the rule in this category, a, a small app that's received a lot of attention recently is uh, Slice. Um, which is an app that uh, is focused on letting you order just pizza, uh, well, and, and other things made by pizzerias like uh, Heroes and, and such, uh, but uh, focused on uh, small local pizzerias. Uh, so they are, uh, you know, part of, part of their 
positioning is that they charge far lower uh, fees to the local pizzerias, and the idea is that you're getting a you know more of an artisan <clears throat> product, uh, and it seems to have achieved uh, some uh, some degree of momentum. Um, I, I think it started here in New York, uh, but uh, but it's been expanding out uh, from from here. Well, and I think if you if you look, I think people are becoming wise to the economics of this. They they recognize that these third party delivery services are negatively impacting the restaurants, especially the smaller restaurants, and uh, and so they're starting to move those purchases directly to the restaurants if they can. They're doing curbside pickup or trying to do delivery directly to the restaurants, so they're not running things through that third party delivery service, which suggests to me that the the economic model for those third-party delivery services will have to change in order for those to be viable businesses moving forward. And so that will help everyone. That'll help the, the customer get ultimately the meals that they want, but also help some of these smaller businesses that are, that are having to uh, spend so much of their revenue on essentially transportation costs for what are ultimately, at least right now, um, and, and certainly before the pandemic, a relatively small share of their overall gross total. Uh, obviously, off-premise dining was growing, but only a, a share of that was running through third-party delivery services. And so that, that will start to change as well. So I think there's a, a lot in flux there. And to your point around Slice, probably more focus on s- sustainable business models that will allow these restaurants to to have delivery services and help everyone kind of be ongoing uh, businesses without without imposing right. significant costs. And and I think uh, to the extent they're seeing success, it, it speaks uh, you know pretty clearly to your point that so a much higher percentage of your average pizzeria um, revenue is delivery, right? So you know it's not generally the sit-down experience and of course the largest uh uh you know many of the largest pizza chains in the u.s are really focused on that delivery proposition you know certainly certainly dominoes so um uh moving on uh, you know to this uh, point about uber uh, and the challenges it has had with uh, food delivery some relatively good news from the ride-sharing service uh, this uh, this quarter uh, that its um, its losses decreased somewhat from the bottom that it experienced uh, during the uh, the low point of the pandemic. Uh, rides are, I believe, still down seventy percent. You said, uh, Sean, but uh, but that represents an improvement uh, coming on the heels of uh, today's uh, job report that unemployment has been uh, lower than uh, predicted by, by some. And uh, it, it's part of actually an, a number of, 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 of um, cautiously optimistic uh, stories regarding some, some pickup uh, in, in various businesses uh, and the steps that uh, we're, we're seeing in tech uh, as the economy uh, begins to uh, restart and rebuild. Uh, another example is uh, a number of companies preparing to IPO, uh, including Asana, uh, which was an early player in online uh, project management. Uh, they've been mentioned uh, a bit in, uh, in, in conjunction with the, the Microsoft Lists 
app that I, I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, other companies in that space, Monday.com, which uh, has done a lot of TV advertising. Uh, but uh, th this was a company that has, uh, you know, pursued a freemium model uh, and has been uh, been widely adopted as, uh, as as a project management tool uh, that has probably seen an, an uptick uh, during the pandemic as it becomes harder to track uh, where various projects are uh, in in terms of their their progress. So. That uh, is, is one example of, uh, of investment um, activity picking up. Um, another story that uh, Silver Lake uh, intends to invest $600 million in Reliance Geo, the uh, Indian uh, um, cellular uh, provider and, and uh, a phone provider, um, upping its stake to 2% after a, a very large uh, investment from, from Facebook. Um, uh, a company called Super Pedestrian. We've, we've spoken in the past about some of the consolidation we have seen in the uh, micro mobility space, e-bikes, scooters, etc. cetera. Uh, but they just um, uh, closed a, uh, a round and raised 15 million, uh, bringing their total race to almost 80 million. And they're starting up a, uh, a kind of ride sharing service. So uh, Sean, do you, do you see this as uh, some evidence that, uh, you know, we may be coming up, coming up from the, the bottom of the uh, pandemic-induced economic uh, crisis? We, we're definitely seeing green shoots. And when you look at some of the high-frequency data that's now being published by, by many tech companies and others on a daily basis, you're seeing things improving on a week-over-week -week basis. Google... And, and Apple are both releasing map query data on a daily basis. And you see Apple's data pointing to uh, more mobility taking place. You see Open Table mm -hmm, right. showing better numbers. TSA showing more uh, passenger throughputs at their checkpoints than they were in prior weeks. So things are, are picking up. Uh, you know, every everything is less bad than it was. And, and in a... Uh, pandemic coming out of a recession, less bad means good in many sure. ways. You know, flat becomes the new up during these time periods. Uh, recessions tend to end after uh, sometime between the, the peak of initial unemployment claims and the peak of continued unemployment claims. And initial unemployment claims look like they peaked at the end of March. Continued unemployment claims look like they might have peaked at the end of May. So uh, in, in many ways, while this is the, the worst economic period we've seen in history in, in, by many accounts, it's also going to be the shortest by many accounts. And, and one could easily argue that the recession has actually over, already ended and we're now in a uh, recovery period. So you are starting to see that pick up. Obviously, there's been so much quantitative easing coming out of Washington, D.C., and that is like rocket fuel for for stocks. So uh, no surprise that we are seeing some companies say, now's a great time to, to go public. And, and I would uh, agree with that. If you've got um, a business model that's, that appears sustainable and looks like it will work. What's interesting about something like super pedestrian is mobility is actually, you know, not, not taking place over the last 60 days. So you're, you're really going to have to make a case that 
that the business model works because people are going to start wanting to move around and, you know, this is going to work. Now, I think shared scooters are probably not the most sanitary of uh, traveling modes that you might might have. But when I've been in D.C., I've seen lots of people using them. So they seem to still be a, a way for people to to get around. And especially this week, as people have taken to the streets in, mm. uh, in broad protest, you do see a lot of uh, micro mobility services being utilized to move from different parts of the city or to uh, to uh, get away from certain parts as curfews are imposed. So mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. Um, ha- have seen that. And, and as mobility comes back, generally, micro mobility will will likely benefit. So it would be interesting to see how how that goes. But yeah, definitely lots of green shoots appearing. And um, the, the, the stock market obviously is, is uh, suggesting that it got the right call and anticipating this recovery. So we're starting yeah, to my, see that. My take on the micro mobility is that it, it's kind of, I think, symbolic in some ways because it represented one of the more significant life uh, changing transportation modes. I don't mean life changing in the sense of it's making my life so much better. I just meant in the term, you know, in terms of a, a different kind of lifestyle uh, than, you know, different mode of transportation uh, being uh, added to cars or competing with cars. It's, um, it's kind of the realization of uh, back when the Segway was uh, was first revealed, you know, back when it was called It, and there were all these discussions about, you know, before people even really knew what it was, uh, that it was going to change the way cities were designed. And here we are so many years later uh, with uh, Segway uh, actually being owned now by a, a Chinese uh, scooter uh, company called right. Mindbot. You know, they do a whole bunch of stuff. And it... it sort of, or what was starting to come true, right? We were seeing these bike lanes put in place. And, you know, some of that, of course, is for good old fashioned, uh, you know, human muscle power. But, but a lot of those bike lanes were also being used by these, uh, these scooters and e-bikes and, uh, you know, all these uh, crazy uh, devices. The, my favorite is the, the one wheel, um, you know, which uh, I, I know I yeah. will never, never, ever have the, uh, the sense of balance to, to operate. Uh, I just look at it the same way, you know, I might look at someone surfing. Uh, it's just uh, incredible to me. But, you know, it, it works. And uh, uh, certainly, they, um, they, they've gotten out there. And uh, as uh, to your point, as, as people increasingly have places to go as, as commuting resumes, as more offices open up. Um, I'm sure we'll see uh, people continue to flock to these kinds of products. So, Well, and, and the things that to me are really interested around some of these micro mobility services, especially the, uh, the sharing services aspect of it is just what, what I've called this combinatorial innovation that takes place. I mean, the, the beauty of the scooter services is that you can leave them anywhere, essentially. You can right. leave them on corners. Well, and, well, you, I guess some would argue about how, quote, beautiful that is. Well, that's right. Of, uh, that's right. That's you right. Know, there is a trade-off. And, and actually, here in sure. D.C., there are large sections of uh, monument 
grounds where you're not allowed to leave them and there are associated fines if you do try to uh, leave them parked there. So you find them on right. the outs outskirts of those monument areas. But the, um, and there are, there are obviously like everything, there are externalities with these type of services, but it's, it's the combination of being able to unlock it with your smartphone, using GPS to locate one nearby. I mean, those, right. those things kind of coming together, uh, I think, have increased usage rates far beyond what the bike rental services were able sure. to, to achieve, where you had to dock them into certain places and right. other restrictions. So uh, I, I look forward to seeing what other things can can come about what other type of services will be unlocked as we start to kind of put these pieces together in uh, new and interesting ways. Yeah. I, in, in general, a, a lot of those scooter services are banned, you know, Lime and, and Jump uh, are, are banned within uh, the, the borders of New York city. Uh, although there was one uh, company that was operating uh, at least in parts of uh, Queens and Brooklyn called uh, Revel. Uh, and it is, um, it's, it's, it's like a moped type of device and they would have, um, so quite a bit beefier, you know, than your typical scooter or e-bike. Uh, and it would have, um, two helmets, uh, encased kind of in storage behind the, uh, the seat. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's also kind of interesting how you scale these things up and what is the level of knowledge assumed and, and yeah. skill assumed uh, to operate one of these things. Uh, but, you know, you didn't need a license for it, um, you know, and, and, and they claimed that it was uh, quite easy to, to get up to speed on it, uh, perhaps, perhaps literally. Uh, certain, certainly probably less balance skill required than, than the one wheel. Uh, that's uh, probably a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think it, it, so. It'll be really interesting to see how these services evolve in a post pandemic world. If people aren't traveling to offices as frequently, or if the configuration of where we live and where we work starts to starts to change. And, right. and maybe as a result, the services will change. You know, maybe we'll be using these as, a, uh, as our uh, mechanisms to retrieve our food and to, you know, pick up our carry out and other things like that. So maybe. Well, that's, that's definitely been a market. I mean, all of these delivery services use some kind of moped, although those yeah. aren't shared services, but sure. Right. So you start to see, uh, the, you know, they'll all have baskets on them and other things like that, that you can uh, right. utilize. So. Right. And uh, then we have a, a story that um, uh, certain in investigative uh, people who poke around code uh, have found indications that Apple plans to introduce a service bundle that includes Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, and possibly more in a single subscription. Uh, this is something that we've been hearing speculation about ever since Apple started launching these content services makes uh, apparent sense for them to bundle them. Uh, to me, it, it seems very interesting because they seem to have uh, different levels of success with these, these services at this point. So how do you think bundling them ha affects that? You know, do you think it, it would, would, in, would, would be inclined to, um, pull up 
some of the weaker services on the strength of, of some of the ones that have a bit more momentum and or, or the ones that are simply a bit more mature. Uh, I tend to think of, you know, Apple Music is a place where Apple's had some success. Um, we can talk a little bit more about why that is uh, versus Apple TV Plus, where they're just getting started. The content library is rather small. Uh, and, uh, you know, they've entered the market just as a lot of the big guns have come uh, roaring in. So uh, is this now a good time for them to launch this subscription service with at-home media consumption booming? Maybe, maybe that's part of the timing uh, here. Well, and I think for Apple, they needed to get some amount of critical mass of content on these platforms and get them to a level of maturity to, uh, you know, you, you offer them as discrete choices early on and you get the diehard customers who are going to subscribe to just music or just the TV service. And then from there, you roll out a bundle. Maybe the bundle is incrementally more expensive. And so for the existing subscribers, they're only looking at that incremental charge, whereas they, they might not have subscribed to that other service if it were always a discrete choice. For example, somebody who's subscribing to the, the movie content, maybe they don't want the audio, but they would for a couple extra dollars a month. And so you're able to grow your revenue that way. And, and I do think that there are is some uh, some really good cross subsidization that happens in content acquisition and that's really going to be what will drive the the success of these platforms for whether it's Apple or Spotify or uh, you know Amazon I mean, we've we've heard that Amazon has looked at extending into podcasts to help enrich their prime offerings i think that's an inevitability because they're, uh, they're very strong in certain aspects of that service, free shipping, for example, or uh, you know, video content, audio content to some extent, but I think they're gonna look to want to wanna ex extend that. And I think Spotify is gonna have to think about how do they extend beyond just audio. Obviously, they've extended in a very big way into podcasts. Um, we've talked about this many times where they, they've bought studios and they just bought the Joe Rogan show for, for a significant right. sum. So they're building out some of their exclusivity as well. And, uh, and Apple will follow suit. So, you know, you, you want to grow your base of users. And from there, you can cross subsidize some of the content costs and, and bring out some of the best in not just video content, but also audio content. It's interesting. Apple music is, um, one of Apple's more mature services and an example of a service where, despite what you say, Sean, about trying to get some notion of exclusivity on the uh, podcast side, historically in the music catalog side, it's been very difficult to build exclusivity. So you've had a commodity product where uh, Apple has differentiated in terms of uh, integration in, into the operating system uh, where you know, there's been some criticism, but uh, it, it's not surprising if you're an iPhone user and you're looking at Apple Music and Spotify and they're about the same price, you know, you're, it makes sense of why you're going to go with, uh, with Apple Music. Uh, Apple TV Plus, it's, on, on one hand, it's a lot easier to differentiate, but on the other hand, it seems increasingly it's getting much more difficult 
to be the exclusive provider, right? So in a music service, you only need one um, uh, and, and you have access to the entire catalog. Now, you know, with, with so many exclusives becoming available and so many bundles um, happening, you know, the way when I first signed up for Spotify's pay plan, it came with uh, a subscription to Hulu in a bundle. Mm -hmm. That was a promotion they were having back then. Uh, and uh, to your point, I mean, who's left, right? So Disney now owns Hulu. They're bundling it with Disney Plus and ESPN. Um, Amazon is, you know, they have Prime Video uh, bundled, at least on a subset with Prime Music. So so if I'm Spotify, where am I going to go? You know, I, uh, I don't know if they would merge with Netflix. I, I think there are a lot of issues there, uh, corporate culture and, and business models and a whole bunch of things. But, but you have to think they're being pushed toward some kind of uh, potential collaboration, you know, some kind of potential bundle there. Uh, it, just, uh, it just makes a lot of sense to me looking at the field. Well, and I think that's what you see with every tech service is that it benefits from having a large number of users at, at which it can amortize those costs across a lot of users. And so uh, if you're a content company, you want to have a lot of users. If you're a tech company offering a service, uh, often you're going to want to have a lot of users. If you're in what is essentially an advertising platform you want to have a lot of users and this is the battle that uh, you know is constantly flaring up in washington dc around the size of these companies we even saw elon musk this week come out and say it's time to break up amazon right you know so um that is a, a call that you're going to continue to see in, in in lots of places but the momentum for all of these companies is to go big to grow big because that enables the the economics to work for all of this especially when it comes down to original content and having something that's uh you know that's unique and i think we see it today with all of the streaming services that are launching somebody like a disney plus is in a great position because they have a a well regarded catalog of content that is is highly desirable especially to a, a segment of the population that has kids or or you know of a certain uh disposition and uh it's just going to be a struggle for a lot of these other services that are that either have a, a weaker catalog or an unknown catalog in the in the terms of quibi you know, the struggle there is people just aren't familiar with the content. There hasn't been a blockbuster show yet. So uh, I, I think as these companies, like every tech company, they want to have a big audience. They want to have a big group of people that are, that are tuning in and helping amortize the costs. Yeah, the other interesting thing around a potential Apple bundle in terms of timing is I believe Apple TV Plus launched last fall. Uh, so we're, we're kind of coming up on the anniversary of it. And uh, what was it two years ago? Um, but uh, the, the, if, if you buy a new Apple device, right, an iPhone or, or a Mac, uh, you get a year of Apple TV+. Plus. So as people come off those uh, extended free trials, uh, it, it's probably a good time for Apple to reach out and say, look, you know, maybe you, uh, you like some of what you saw on Apple TV Plus and you're, 
you know, you, you, you can't see shelling out another five bucks a month for it right now. But uh, what if we gave you, you know, Apple Music and Apple, Apple TV Plus for $12 a month, you know? Uh, so um, uh, that, that could be a potential retention play for them to certainly help boost uh, Apple TV Plus adoption as they uh, as they add more content, which which is something I, I think we talked a bit about last last week. Well, and also, doesn't it help to be bundled to something that isn't content? I, I mean, you just make the argument that you're buying an Apple device and then you get a, a right. certain time period of of service for free. This is right. a way of essentially subsidizing the purchase of, of a phone or a tablet that is no longer being subsidized by the carrier. And so right. they'll, they'll I don't know if that's perpetual though. I don't, I don't know if you can keep getting Apple TV for free as long as you buy an Apple device every year. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's only a one-time thing, but for, for now, sure. it, yeah, it's for, a very, it's a very extended trial. Right. For, for well, sure. and for now, but I, I mean, I could easily see Apple extending something like that if they felt like, our real play is in hardware, and this is a way that we'll subsidize that hardware. Just like, uh, you know, Prime Video. I mean, what's the play there for Amazon? Is it I subscribe to Prime Video because I really want that content, and then I also do my retail shopping there? Or is it that their first play is being a retailer? They want people to subscribe to the service and then they add these other things to it in, in hopes of enriching the offering. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's tough sometimes to see where the, the directional um, of motivation is coming from. So in the case of, of Apple, you noted the great integration the content has with the hardware and, and maybe it's a play to keep people on the hardware and maybe they look at what type of promotions they offer moving forward to, uh, to compete in that space. Well, uh, we'll certainly be uh, welcomed by some segment that has had uh, interest in, in a range of their uh, proliferating content offerings. And uh, we'll, we'll have to see if it materializes and, and what the future uh, is for these services. So uh, I think that about wraps up our agenda for this week. So. Uh, we want to thank you again for listening. Again, I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. And I'm Sean Dubrovac. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubrovac. Thanks so much. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon.